How's everybody doing? Come on, it's a good day. Something I love about the church, the Bible talks about unity a lot. Unity. I just, this wasn't a part of my message, but just kind of jumped out at me in service today. But the church sometimes falls in love with uniformity. You, you go to some churches and everybody's wearing a suit. Like it's in the Bible that everybody has to wear a suit, you know, or... Uh, even at some places where worship, like, they become so uniform that, like, right when the chorus comes up, blessed be, and everybody raises their hands, you're like, How, did you guys practice this before I came? And it becomes this uniformity thing. What I love about our church is that the Bible shows that he calls every tribe and tongue. If you, if you were poor growing up, you still is poor. I, hey, that was me. We're welcome in this place. I was on food stamps, cheese sandwiches, top ramen I grew up on. Delicious, okay? You don't know about cheese sandwiches and top ramen at the same time, though. It's a whole different ballgame. Now, if you grew up rich, like my wife, she had a pool in the backyard. I want a pony. Here's two ponies, okay? Yeah. We got married. I was like, we got a budget. She's like, what's the budget? I was like, she was like, well, we can only get one out of three. She's like, no, we get all three, and then I get a fourth. I was like, no! We're going to merge your rich, my poor. We're going to do the thing called budget, girl. Now we just buy everything, whatever. Um, so if you're rich, you're welcome here. If you like to wear a suit, you're welcome here. If you want to put on a bomber jacket or whatever this thing's called that says the town you're welcome here you know what I'm saying where my warrior fans at yeah I can prove it to you how different we are here you can come here with any type of Bible you want has to be the Bible though Jesus in it. 66 books 40 authors this is Michael's Bible you're not gonna come here and see everybody have the same Bible because then this is my Bible it's a little different would we agree with that I love it if you if you are using your iPhone for Bible that's allowed Kara came up and she had this little medium Bible. I was like, man, like we literally look like, uh, what's that one little thing? Like, this is too hot. This is too cold. This is just right. I literally felt like that was like our Bibles. There's a perfect Bible for everybody. Find your perfect little Bible. How do you read this, by the way? I thought it was going to go like this. There's a verse in Colossians. Yeah. Um, it says a Colossians 1. Here you go. Hey, here's the deal. Grandpa needs this one. All right. The big text. Oh, there it is. This is what I do. Love me a good Bible with big, large print. Let's get into the message. Sound good? I'm about to do work. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Welcome to the town. All right, here we go. Um, Psalm 90, verse 12. The psalmist says this. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's read another verse real quick. Psalm 39 says this. In verse 4, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that the days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire life is just a moment. Everybody say moment to you. At best, each of us but a breath. Each year that goes by, I feel like it just goes by faster and faster. John Edwards, in his resolutions, he writes this one resolution that always stuck with me. I can, I, it's the only one I remember out of all of them. He writes down, may I live each day like it's my last hour. This is a man declaring, like John Edwards, who did amazing things for the kingdom, that he said, man, I, I want to I understand that if this is my last hour, I want to maximize it. I want to live in the moment. Matthew 6, Jesus comes on the scene, and he's talking to people, like, hey, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. He's got enough worries for himself. Just live for today. I'm going to give you everything you need for today. A.K.A., hey, live in the moment don't let your future worries steal from the moment I have for you. Teach me that my moments are fleeting, so I'll maximize my moments. And I believe that we have moments in our life that if we look back, there's ones that we'd never want to tell anybody about. And I believe that this series is going to teach you how to overcome moments that will not define your life, but Jesus will define your life. 
This series is going to teach you that you're going to have the opportunity to be a moment in somebody else's life where they look back at their life and they say, I remember that moment. I think we discount the power of moments at times. I'll never forget them. Uh, in fifth grade, my dad picks me up from school. and never picked me up from school, really. And he goes, hey, get in the car. We're going to go uh, have a fun day. Never had done anything like this. Never had done it since. But it was that one day. He took me to this movie called Free Willy. Anybody hear about Free Willy? Come on. Killer whale. <laughs> and then he jumps over. You know what I'm talking about? It's a dollar theater at Liberty Theater. It's the greatest memory I have with my dad. Cost him a buck. To make an impact in somebody's life, it's not going to have to cost you a ton of money. Just think about how you can love them. I'll never forget I'm a senior in high school. It's a senior ball, working at Mickey D's. Who loves McDonald's cheeseburger? Come on now. My McDonald's double cheeseburger people starting a small group. McDonald's. All right, let's do this. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, glory. <laughs> um, I, uh, I worked at McDonald's. I'd work about two weeks for this one dinner at Morton's. A few hundred bucks. Everybody bullied me into going, we got to go. It's our senior ball. We got to go to the nice restaurant in Seattle. It's amazing. The Mariners ate there the day before. I was like, all right, all right. So I was thinking I'm going to remember the steak. Oh, my gosh, I wonder how good the steak's going to be because it's $75. It better be pretty good. And I'm just eating the bread. And this guy comes by with this little thing, and he just takes all the bread off the table. He's like this. And I was like, who are you, Houdini? How did that happen? Where did the breadcrumbs go? So I broke the bread again on purpose, you know. And he's like, oh, that's adorable. So he did it again. I did it three times. Not adorable anymore, okay? Um, I don't remember anything else from my senior ball don't remember a dance. I don't remember the steak. I just remember a guy coming by and acting like Houdini and just crumbs gone. You're welcome. First time I ever experienced it at a nice restaurant. There is a level of service that when you serve people, they'll never forget it. This world does not know that type of service. When they come encountering you, the Morton servants of the kingdom, they will go, whoa, what is that? I've never seen that before. Your moments can be serving somebody at a level they've never seen before. I'll never forget the moment driving over to Rachel's house to tell her, yo, girl, congratulations. You're my girl. Yeah. I'm going to go down like that really bad. Basically, I remember driving over to Rachel to tell her I want to marry her. I, was going, I mean, like, this was probably a little too strong, but we had known each other. We dated for five months. We broke up. But I remember that drive. I remember praying. I remember getting in the car, shutting the door, and telling the Lord, we got this. We got this. Felt good. Walked in, told Rachel. I want to marry you. Let me date you. And I remember Rachel sitting. I'm sitting in the church. She's sitting on the couch. It's her little apartment in Tulica Lake. She had a two-bedroom in Tulica Lake. She was wearing this black little um, dress thing uh, and then like some like leggings. She had just come from the, a pool with her, uh, her, her, her cousin uh, and family. Um, it was like 1030 and her hair was kind of wet from the pool and she's sitting there. And she goes, okay, okay. Just like the movies. I'm going to have to pray about this. How did this happen? I was like, I'm a girl. I, I just, I just, something happened. I, I want to marry you. I don't remember the day before. I don't remember the day after. I remember that moment. The reason why I say that is, you're going to have to take some risks this next season. You're going to have to take some risks and just swing the bat for God and say, I'm going for it, Lord. I'm going to, I'm going to tell somebody that you love them. I'm going to go and make a moment at Starbucks and I'm just going to swing the bat. I, Maybe I would have told, the story would have been a lot different. I'll tell you this, I've told people a lot of times, hey, Jesus loves you. Huh? You know? I'll never forget me and Drew. Oh my goodness, last story, and then we'll go into the, the scripture. Drew and I get saved, and we are just crazy for Jesus. Drew is crazier than I was because he smoked weed and did a lot of drugs before he got saved. I was asthmatic, so I never ever hit the bong, just inhalers, okay? Um, that's it. That's it. 
Hey, you want something? No, I'm good. Oh, my lungs are expanding. You know, that's all I had, okay? But Drew, he was doing drugs, okay? So he gets saved, and, you know, so he's still recovering from that phase. And so we're walking in. Oh, we're walking in Applebee's, and there's this homeless guy, and Drew looks at him. We just got done. We're just learning the Bible for the first time, and there's this moment in Acts where Peter's like, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have in the name of the Lord, get up and walk, you know? And, and, the, and in the Bible, it's awesome. The guy gets up, and it's an amazing story. So me and Drew are walking by this guy. He wants money, and he's paralyzed in a wheelchair. And Drew goes, silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have is in the name of Jesus, the power and the authority. You are healed. Get up. And the homeless guy sits there and looks at us. Are you crazy? What's your problem? Weirdos? Like, 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 I was looking at Drew like, oh, that's uh, the Bible. It didn't happen. It didn't happen for, you know, like, we're like, we got to give money now, man. I mean, that's my Applebee's money. I'm on budget, bro. Moment. One of the greatest things that you can understand is that you will not get today back. You will not get tomorrow back. And when you get, teach me, Lord. Teaching is sharpening the axe. Preaching is swinging the axe. Lord, I live dull weeks right now because I haven't been taught that my life is numbered but a breath. Oh, teach me, sharpen my mind, sharpen my emotions, sharpen my focus. May the things of this world not entangle me anymore. I understand I have an eternal purpose for today. You want to restore my mind today? Oh, may I be a sharp Christian. May I not live a dull life. Oh, this love that I have, it's kind of dull right now. Well, teach me to number my days. I only get to pray today once in the morning. I won't get my morning back. Teach me. May I seize the moments of my life. Bow your heads. Oh, Lord, we love you. Oh, we love you, Jesus. And as we go into this message, I pray right now that we would be a church that would understand we have a moment. That this season of our life, that our life is a moment. That we live in this region for a reason, for a purpose. That just maybe, just maybe, Mission Church is going to have a moment where a whole region could be impacted because Jesus' followers said, I'm in. I'm all in. Oh, may my words fall to the floor. May your words soar. We need you. We need you. Everybody said? All righty. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about... Um, adversity today. Test. When, when hard things happen. We're going to talk about the storm test. When a storm comes in your life, what do you do when that moment, that storm moment comes in your life? How do you respond? We're going to talk about when your life gets messy. What about that moment when everything's just messy in your life? How do you deal with that mess? We're going to talk about the, what I call the lack test. What happens when there's, just a, there's a bunch of lack? There's not enough. That's, that's something I feel like we all encounter in this world because this world never has enough for everybody, but the kingdom has more than enough. So the first thing I want to ask you is, who here loves tests? Because God loves to develop you through tests. Who loves tests? Raise your hand. Is there anybody that's a weirdo in our church? Yes. Okay, you were the one that was like, um, teacher, we have a pop quiz today, Friday. And I was like, bro, no, no. How bad were you at test style? You know how bad I was at test? I flunked kindergarten, Okay. And they told me I was too young to go on, but my friend was the same age, and they went to first grade, and I went to kindergarten twice. I'm smart enough to know you're duping me. Just say it. Use a big dum-dum. You need to age a little bit. So I, I don't even know what test it was in kindergarten. I call it kindergarten, which I found out maybe that's why I flunked. It's kinder. I was like, kindergarten. Rachel's like, kindergarten? It's kindergarten. I was like, maybe that's why they wouldn't let me leave. I couldn't even say the word. This was last night. I was like, do you think I should tell everybody that I flunked kindergarten? She's like, flunked what? I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so last night, I, I think I officially passed kindergarten. That's a real story. Lord, my witness, ask my wife. Shame was on my life for a second, then Jesus took it, okay? So I went to kindergarten, 
and twice, because I failed tests. I hated tests. So every time I had a test, I was like, I don't want to stay in second grade. I don't want to stay in third grade again. All my friends, I made great friends. I don't want to be in fifth grade for the rest of my life. Because every time I had a failed test, I was like, am I going to have to stay in a grade again? That's the way my brain uh, thought about it. So I hate tests. David, who I admired like crazy until I started reading these Psalms, he was that guy in class that loved tests. King David loved tests. Here's what he says in Psalm uh, 26.2. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. He goes on to say, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive ways in me and lead me in the way of everlasting life. Stop. David got it, though. Oh, I hate tests, but let me ask you this question. Do you love things that are tested? Are you happy that your brakes are tested when you go in your car? Are you happy when you get on a plane that they test the plane? Are you happy that your pilot has to go through a strict test? Or they're like, hey, everybody, I just felt like trying to fly the plane today. Welcome to Delta Airlines. Uh, the guy called in sick, but hey, let's see what happens here. All righty. Buckle up. <laughs> you know? No, thank you. I'm thankful for tests. A tested pilot is a great pilot. A tested disciple is a great disciple. And David is praying, test me. So the things that are in me, the problems in this world are not the way your parents raised you. Oh, I, I met... I had a worship pastor who saw his dad kill his mom in front of his eyes at age seven. And for the rest of his life, he could have blamed that one moment. But the things that will transform your life are not the moments on the outside, but what happens on the inside. He is the king of transformed hearts. And so the test that you're going to go through is never about the external. It's always about the internal. They actually have a, 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 a name for this in the profession. It's called stress test. Stress test. What a fascinating name. Kind of goes with my message. Stress test. The pilot wants to fly a plane. They have to go through a strict stress test to make sure that this thing will be able to stay ticking so you can stay living. And I believe that Jesus, before he released the disciples, he wanted to take them on a journey of stress tests. Not because he was punishing them, but he was preparing them to be people that would conquer the world, that would love the unlovable, that would bring light to dark places. Can you imagine if Jesus would have rushed the disciples to production? Can you imagine people just, get this plane out there. we got to test it first. No, we don't have time. Just give the people the planes. Give people the cars. We, uh, Google things rush to production. It's always a catastrophe. It says this in James 1. It's a phenomenal verse. It's, and again, uh, I love how James says it. Count it all joy. Everybody say joy. joy. This is new for me. I, I'm going to try to count everything as joy this next season, every test. My brothers, when your trials, uh, when you meet trials of various kinds, stop. Have you ever met somebody so positive it makes you negative? You know what I'm talking about? Like, hey, so good to see you. Isn't it the best week? No, it's not the best week. It's raining. I hate rain. I was in a good mood, but now your positivity is making me a little negative. I feel like this is James and this mom. He's like, count it all joy when you go through trials. Who talks like that? Who talks like that? But what he's trying to say is, oh, if you could see what's going to come out of this. You would be excited. You'd be filled with joy because you're going to become a conqueror once you go through this test. You're going to be everything, all those things that you desire. If God gave you the things you want right now, you would ruin them. Oh, I'm so glad even with Rachel and I's season that I met her the season I did because I went through all these different things that made me a better human being so she could have a better follower of Christ who would love her and serve her. Hashtag still work in progress. You can ask her. It was a terrible week this week. I was a terrible husband, okay? She wasn't submitting either, so it's kind of a, you know. <laughs> what? Biblical. What? What? Just kidding. Okay. Okay, here we go. Um, he goes on to say, 
For you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness is a fancy word for perseverance, endurance. We got too many quitters in the world right now. Things get hard, I quit, I'll try something else. Oh, this person's too hard, I quit on that person. This job is too hard, this, this thing, whatever it is, this region, uh, whatever it is, it, it, it's created in our culture, comfortability, we'll just try something else. But Jesus doesn't want you to give up on a region. He doesn't want you to give up on hope. He doesn't want you to give up on your promises. He doesn't want you to give up on the person to your life, left or right in this region. He wants to create endurance in you so you can become a conqueror. Yes? Goes on to say, and let this steadfastness, this endurance, have its full effect. Everybody say full effect. Man, it's the worst when you are cooking something and just take it out too soon. It's terrible. You got to let it, you got to let the season be the season that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Mm, come on, lacking in nothing. Can you imagine if Jesus would have came on the scene, picked the 12 people and said, all right, you're good, go get them. You would have had Peter, if you've never read the Gospels. Peter was the first disciple, one of the, one of the first disciples that was chosen by Jesus. And Man, he's a knucklehead. If Jesus would have said, all right, boom, go, go pastor a church, go, go love people. Peter was the guy in the Bible before he was tested. He would take out a, oh, you, you're stepping against me. You take out a sword and cut somebody's ear off. Can you imagine a pastor like, hey, you're talking. Whoosh. You know, hey, you're distracting. Whoosh. Don't go to that church. That Peter is crazy. Peter was the overpromiser, underproducer. One of the biggest wounds I think people have in this world is when somebody overpromises to them and then underproduces. I'll never hurt you. I'll be there on Friday. How many wounds do we have from parents and friends or an employer that said, I'll promise you a promotion, and they don't give it to you? Peter was the classic overpromiser. Jesus, I will never, ever, 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 ever deny you. I'll die first. Overpromise. Jesus comes in. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. You need to go through this test first because there will be a moment where you will not deny me. But you need to first have this test so then therefore you can pass all the tests. You have Thomas, the doubter. Can you imagine if you just released Thomas? Hey, go disciple people. I feel like Thomas would have been that person in the small group. Do you really think God loves us? I don't know. I mean, we saw him walk on water, but I don't know if he loves us really. I call it the doubting small group. What is this all about anyways? Thomas would have killed my joy so quick in the beginning. But I'm good. Can you imagine if James and John were released right away? James and John in the Bible, they were these guys that were called the Sons of Thunder, okay? Uh, if there, there was this town that didn't agree with them, and so they were like, oh, okay, you don't want Jesus? Fire, kill them all. They don't agree with us, kill them all. These are, these are the ones Jesus chose. But man, thank goodness, thank you, Jesus, that he had a three-year testing process where they went through adversity, where they went through failure. But Jesus doesn't give up on you during your adversity. He actually walks with you so you can come out the product that he wants to. Then you come out the disciple, the son and daughter. And even when you come out, you know, I'm still flawed. The disciples would talk in ways like Paul, when, when the Lord called him, he'd say, I'm, I'm just the least of these. I'm still a big old sinner. But thank goodness, I'm a saint because of what he did. He would say, I, I have this power of God in my life, but my life is a jar of clay. I'm this fragile thing. Oh, everybody in this room is fragile. I don't care how tough you act. Somebody says something about you, I'm fine. I don't care. I don't really know them that much. No, it bothers you because you're fragile. We're all fragile. The Bible says you are. It says I am. When somebody says they don't like my message, I'm like, whatever, you stupid, you know. <laughs> Problem is, they didn't like my message, but I thought it was good. It bothers me, and i got to flush it, because I'm fragile. 
But thank goodness the thing that lives in me is more powerful that helps me digest those things to keep me intact. I'm so thankful. Oh, if James and John were around today, they would be on one side of some kind of decision of Jesus. It would be like, if I could, can we talk politics? That's always a safe thing to do at church. Okay. <laughs> James and John. I'm not saying Democrat, Republican, what's right or what's wrong. I'm just saying that what we see today with some disciples of the Lord is they think their way is the right way. So they're Christians, they love the Lord, and they're Democrats. And so what, they, what you see them doing through Facebook and through the life is they're calling down fire on the Republicans. If they weren't here, America would be great. I wish they were gone. And then Republicans that are Christians are saying, oh, if this group was gone, it would be great. No, neither. We don't need a revival in the White House. We need a revival in the church. We don't need a, 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 a government. No, don't wrong. Politics are important. I think that uh, us being in tune with what's going on and us voting and us uh, respecting, I think it's all good things. But if we are a group of people putting hope in a group of people's ideas and then calling fire on the other ones, man, we got to go through some more tests to understand that that is not what's going to change the game. Just so you know, this is the intro. I haven't even started preaching. Um, <laughs> I haven't preached in three weeks. I was so excited. Um, it's the last service. There's not another one, so you're just in trouble. I don't got to do anything. Okay, here we go. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We'll be done in 40 minutes. Okay, John 6. John 6. John 6. Says this. This is the rhythm, I feel like, of the test. This is one of the first tests that Jesus uh, comes on the scene to put them through adversity so they would be the best disciples. Tested disciples are the best disciples. John 6. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him where... Uh, wherever he went, because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed, as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turned to Philip, he asked him, "Where can we buy bread to feed all these people?" He was testing Philip. Everybody say testing. Come on, hey Philip. You're going to have a different belief in your heart. When stuff like this happens, I'm going to develop it. So Philip, this is what happens with Philip on the very beginning of his test. And I love what Jesus says, for he already knew what he was going to do. Just so you know, Jesus got your future taken care of. When, you, when things look terrible, when there is lack, he's got it taken care of. Oh, the moment that you live in to actually grow. Oh, I, everybody ages, not everybody matures. Each day you have an opportunity to actually trust God and watch him grow what you're supposed to grow. It goes on to say, and this is where it gets good. Phil replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Stop. He points out the, the obvious. You ever met the problem guy? Who's met the problem guy? Hey, uh, like you work with him. You're like, hey, so just so you know, our uh, time cards are not very good. I have no solution. Just want you to know there's a problem. Hey, just so you know, the parking lot is full. I got no solution. Just want to let you know the problem. Hey, just so you know, the bathrooms are disgusting. I have no solution. Just here's the problem, okay? That doesn't help anybody, okay? I, I'm, I, I used to be the problem guy. I'm killing it in me. I used to just look for problems. It's not a good way, way to live. But Phil basically says, hey, we could work for months. These people are not going to get fed. And basically what he goes is he says, we could throw money at it, but I don't think it's going to fix it. And what I think we do sometimes is we look at the lack of what's happening in our region. Hey, we could pray for months. It's not going to change a whole region. We could, we could tell everybody about Jesus for months. It's not going to save a whole region. He goes his human understanding. His heart right now is, and his mind is shaped by human understanding. He tries to throw money at the problem, basically. And he even says, if we throw all the money, it's still going to be a problem. We could throw all the money at this world and it'd still be a problem. 4% of the population, 25% of the wealth is the U.S., and we is jacked up. 
So what happens, this is an amazing moment. Andrew Simon Peter's brother spoke up. There's a young boy here with five uh, barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Stop. This is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. First three are synoptic Gospels, about 60% of it, all this similar. Synoptic similar. And then John is a lot of different stories. But this is the one that they were all a part of, and I think Jesus wanted to be a part of it. He wanted to test them all on this to see that, that you are going to have seasons in your life where you're not going to have enough, and you're not going to be able to do it with your own strength. You can't work long enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't throw money at it. Because in other uh, um, stories, um, there's another moment in this where one of the disciples, it's a great idea, says, I got an idea. Okay, we can't work for it. We can't buy anything. Let's just send everybody away. Let's just get rid of the problem, okay? I don't know about you, but I feel like a lot of us do that when we have a moment when things get hard or we have lack. I know there's a problem. I'm just going to ignore it. I know that I'm off now with my spouse. I'm just going to ignore the. I'll just get rid of the problem. That's how I'm going to deal with it. Okay, I get it. People are the way they are. I'm just going to give up on people because they're a huge problem. Let's just get rid of the people that don't agree with us. Let's just get rid of the mean people and the annoying people. Let's just get rid of them. Both these are human ideas. And then one of the South says, okay, I, what we do have is some loaves and some fish. And in this story, I want you to hear this real quick. I believe that we as a church are the loaves and the fish. I believe that when we give our life to Jesus, because what happens in the story is an amazing thing. Jesus goes on and he says that when, the, uh, when they gave him the loaves and fish, Jesus says, tell everyone to sit down. I love when Jesus is dramatic. Yo, everybody sit down. I'm about to do a fish fry up in here, okay? It's an amazing moment. He didn't have everybody standing. like, no, no, no. Everybody got to see this. They're going to love it. You know what I'm saying? It's like one of those moments. Everybody sit down. We have five loaves, a few fish. Okay, everybody. Here we go. Watch me be Jesus. They take the five loaves, the fish. Oh, they feed everybody, and there's even leftover. There's leftovers. He's the God of overflowing. Our God usually has, no, not usually, he does. He has leftovers. We overflow. And this is what I believe for, I want us to believe in this church. I want to give him my whole life. I feel inadequate to change the world. But if I get in his hands like the bread, and he blesses it and thanks it, and then breaks it, we don't like that part, but then he passes it out, say goodnight. We as a church, how, we average like 440 in December. 440 people. We have a million people in our county. How in the world are 440 people going to change the world? I have no idea. Let's just give the 440 to Jesus and watch him change the world with the 440. Does that sound like an idea? That's, that's my dream. I, I want you to catch it. That, that, that's not some tokenary statement. Jesus changed the world with 11 disciples. One kind of, okay, but 11 disciples. I'll never forget this quote. It's one, some, a quote I learned when I was like 22, 23. It was when Napoleon was pointing at a map, and he just simply said, there lies a sleeping giant. If awakened, it will change the world. He's pointing at China. If awakened, it would change the world. I believe that this series moments, that if you realized, if awakened, we would change the world. If we'd understand every day we have a moment to change the world, we would see God do something we've never seen before. The first test that you're going to have to pass is the, the, the pass of feeling disqualified and feeling like you don't have enough. You'll never have enough. You'll never have enough knowledge about the Bible to tell somebody about Jesus. You'll never have enough, um, I would say, righteousness in your own view. Like, well, I'm just not good enough yet to tell people about Jesus. You're never going to be good enough. Jesus is good enough. You'll never be smart enough. If somebody asks you a question you don't know, one of the best things says, you know, actually, I don't know. I just, I love the thing where like, hey, who did that? Like, well, who is that? I, like, I don't know. I was blind, but now I see. 
It's an amazing moment in your life when you realize, I'm just going to talk about how great Jesus is. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. If I don't have the answer, i got a pastor that flunked kindergarten, and uh, maybe he can answer some questions for you, okay? Um, say what? This week, let's pass the lack test. I really believe the enemy has attacked your confidence in sharing the gospel that you are not charismatic enough or not likable enough or you're not this enough. Stop listening to the enemy. Give him your whole life and watch him use you to feed people around you. Yes? Next test. The mess test. The mess test. Turn your Bible to John 14. John 14. I don't know about you, but life is messy. If you lived any number of years, people are messy. Life is messy. Relationships are messy. Um, I, I had a little New Year's Eve get-together at our house, uh, Rachel and I. Uh, go ahead and put that picture up real quick. My wife is so festive that she bought a bunch of confetti, and it's going to come, I believe. Uh, there we go. Okay, that's just a part of our floor. There was these little confetti guns, and we like, and then confetti goes, woo, happy new year. Okay, it's fun at the moment, but then from literally from that light to that light, there was just confetti everywhere, okay? Messy as all get out. Now, Rachel and I, we were messy human beings, so we didn't clean it up. We just went to bed. <laughs> you know what I'm well, I mean, I, how messy are we, you ask? Okay, so if you saw our garage, I believe that we could be on an episode of Hoarders, okay? Um, I'm just telling myself, we're getting better, all right? But it is... It's embarrassing. It is. It's. It, we just. It's hard for us to throw things away. And then we have. We have three bedrooms, just two people. And so the other two bedrooms, we use them as our mess rooms. Okay. And what I mean by that is that if I have anything that I want to put somewhere, I just throw it in a bedroom. I used to have a closet as a kid. Now I have a whole room to throw extra clothes in, shoes, garbage, books, whatever. I get new shoes, the box, I just punt it in that room. <laughs> I'm, I kid you not. I, I mean, when I was when I was single, Caleb can attest to this. Caleb, when we were in L.A. Uh, I had a little one-bedroom apartment, and I had like 70 pizza boxes, and I would, have a, I would finish drinking a Diet Coke, and I would just toss it behind the couch into the kitchen. Yeah, 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 judge me. Yeah. I, I judge myself. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's like, I, I remember like Rachel when we first started dating, she's like, oh my goodness. Um, now she has domesticated me. You know, we're doing better. I just don't toss cans anymore. Like even yesterday, I left out my water and my oatmeal. And she's like, Tyler, I just want to teach you. If you just put this in the trash real quick. I mean, again, I'm, being, I, I'm not being aggressive. Um, uh, um, we, we could keep the house clean. I was like, oh, I'll, but they'll put it in the trash can. Huh? You teach me. This is, this, is, this is our life yesterday, okay? So we had guests come a few weeks ago. And my room is the room that has to clean because it's the me- it's, we have guests, it's the guest room. There's a bed in it. And so I got to clean everything out of it. Rachel's other room, her mess room is the office. Mess is everywhere. She never has to clean hers because her office nobody stays in. So I'm the only one that has to clean. Marriage problems, what? And so I clean, the, I clean the room and now it's messy again. So we have a mess room. That's one way we deal with it. This one, I couldn't throw that stuff in the mess room. And so I come out the next morning and I turn on the vacuum. Vacuum's out there. Uh, Rachel had tried earlier or something like that. I didn't know what was going on. And and so I go to go vacuum, and the vacuum's just, I was like, and isn't it weird what things will break you at the moment? I was like, oh my gosh, vacuum's broken. The confetti's going to be here forever. I just, I give up. I just felt defeated. I was like, I don't even want to, let's just, let's get a new house. I don't, I don't know what to do. It's like one of those, one of those moments. I, I think we all have them. We have them on the freeway with people. We have them at the restaurant when the order doesn't bring your stuff and you flip out and they're like, whoa, the issue's not the issue. It's one of those moments, okay? Because there's a mess going on here. Again, it's not the confetti. It's what's going on in here. So finally, being the man I am, uh, I found, asked Rachel, hey, what's going on with this vacuum? She's like, oh, I broke it last night. Thanks for telling me. Uh, good talk. And, I'm like, and so I, I, I take it apart. 
It's the most handy thing I think I've ever done in our seven years of marriage. And I start pulling out the confetti out of this. The, it's just clogged, but it's still manly. Okay, I was like pulling out the confetti and turn it on, and I fixed it. But what I failed to tell you is that when I was trying the vacuum to work, and it didn't, I was like, oh, all right, whatever. I started picking up the confetti. I, this is the way my mind went. One by one, I was like, I'll just pick it up real quick. And I started grabbing it. And then I got even more defeated. That was the defeated moment, by the way. And I was like, what am I thinking? And then I had this picture, and forgive me uh, uh, if it's simple, but I'm a simple man, uh, is I feel like a lot of us, we have mess in our life. And have you ever met somebody who's just hard-headed and they just want to do things their way? Just, I, I, I can do life my way. I got it. Well, I had this picture of me grabbing all the confetti and Rachel saying, Tyler, there's a vacuum. It's fixed. And I'm like, I don't need a vacuum. I got this. I'll clean this mess up with my own hands, my own strength. I'll fix this mess on myself. I got this. And they're, No, no, this vacuum, it's amazing. You'll be done in 10 seconds. Oh, you want to have to circle the same mountain over and over again. This mess will not own your life. Man, so many messes own people's lives in the room today. So many messes. And so finally, the vacuum gets fixed, and I was like, oh, my goodness, thank you, Lord. For I, just, I was praising the Lord for vacuums. When I fixed it, I was like, Lord, I praise you. I praise you. God be glorified, devil terrified. Come on now. Thank you, Michael, for that saying. I love it. Come on. And I remember cleaning it up. I was like, oh, I love it. And then I, and then I started reading my Bible, and I came upon this moment. It was like, literally, I read this right after I got done vacuuming. Godliness is cleanliness, okay? Um, and so then I read, and it said this, but when the helper comes, everybody say helper. This is your help test. You're going to have to pass the help test. When the helper comes, whom will I send to you from the Father? Oh, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness. goes on to say, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. Everybody say advantage. That I go away for, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Jesus says, I gave you a helper for the messes in your life for the struggles in your life. You're going to come across things and you need to give that mess to me because the helper will take care of it a way that you can never take care of it. A mess that you would take you years, years to just put in another room of your heart to hide from other people. It's still there. It's taking up room in your heart where Jesus wants to preside. But uh, preside maybe, aside, I don't know, live. Let's use where I live, okay? Where Jesus wants to live. I don't know words. I flunked kindergarten. I'm going to use it today, okay? I want to hear this real quick. I think that there's two ways people handle messes. Try to use their own strength, or they try to stuff it in a room so nobody can see it. That is not the way you're called to, use, uh, to deal with a mess. You are given a helper to be the one that comes into a place that fixes all the messes. Jesus doesn't want you to use parts of your heart to hide the mess. He wants to live in those parts of your heart. You are going to have an opportunity maybe this week or next week. And when a problem comes, you will maybe either try to figure out how do I fix it in my own strength, or you'll just call on the helper and say, helper, I need you. Vacuums, vacuum, the Holy Spirit helps. The helper helps. You are going to have a help test. Oh, just, just give the Lord a chance to do things in your life. Just give him a chance. Last one, I'll invite the worship team to come up. The last test, so we have the mess test, which is also the help test. We have the test of lack. And then the last one is the storm test, the storm test. So planes, they call it the resilience test. They'll actually test the plane's wings to make sure that when a storm happens, they won't just fly off the plane. So they have them go through these resilience stress tests to make sure that everything's good. Well, this is this moment, I feel like, as Jesus is with the disciples, he says, I'm going to put you in a storm, and I want to see what this storm does to your life, and I'm going to teach you that I'm the God of the storm, that I am bigger than any storm. I get that the storm is big, but I'm bigger. 
And so he gets him in the boat. It's an amazing moment. It's found in Matthew 14. It says, immediately, he made the disciples get in the boat. I always find that funny. Like, hey, get in the boat. Get in the boat. There's about to be a storm. Uh, I know it because I'm God. I want you to get in the boat. Get in the middle. I'll see you guys in a little bit. It's like a father going, oh, I'm testing you. It's like like watching your kid ride their bike for the first time. All right. He sends him out. Get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While uh, While he sent the crowds away, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And it was evening. He was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, that's dawn, about to be dawn, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! Stop. This week was, we started the fast, and from Monday on, it was one of the harder weeks. Oh, it was such a hard week for me. I felt like I had waves from every side. I had people that, uh, um, that I thought cared about me, betray me. Uh, my wife and I told you we were off, and we're never usually off. So when church is hard, at least my baby girl's got my back. And she did have my back, but it was, it was mostly me. We'll say 90-10. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, anyways, anyways. I had waves everywhere. I cut, and then I'm like, oh, okay, like, well, Lord, thank you. At least we have a venue. It's going to be okay. We're good. It's going to be a great thing. I come into Los Almas on Friday. Oh, yeah, sorry, we double booked you. You're not going to be at the 20th, 27th. And I was like, it's Friday. Like, church is on Sunday. i got to find a venue. Like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? And I just, I made a lot of ghost stuff in my head. Here's what I mean by that. When storms hit us, you have a choice in this test to choose faith or to choose fear. But what happens is when we choose fear is we make things up that aren't even there. You know how many ghosts are in the, in the gospel? There aren't ghosts in the gospel. It's not like, like, oh, hey, there's another ghost. There's a ghost. No, you make things up because you're afraid. Maybe it's the one that conquered the grave. Maybe he's the one walking on water. But fear made them see a ghost and not Jesus. And what happens when we're afraid? I'll, can I tell myself? Um, recovering hypochondriac. Anybody else a hypochondriac? Yeah, anybody? Okay, yeah. I, I, I used to like WebMD everything in my 20s. Like, I'd be like, I'm hot. Google it. You're dying. I'm like, what? Or the heater's on. Whichever one. We're not sure yet. You know, so I'd Google WebMD everything, you know. Uh, I remember when my shoulders, uh, I hurt my shoulders tubing, but I was like, well, the Bible, uh, not the Bible. Uh, WebMD says that if your shoulder hurts, it could be a heart attack. I went to the hospital. I was like, EKG. I was, like, I was, I was a hypochondriac. Because when something would happen, I would go down the whole road like, oh, my gosh, my shoulder hurts. Well, if I don't go to the hospital, and then this happens, and then, and then oh, my goodness, I'll have a heart attack, and then I'll die, and then I won't. Oh, ghost. Owning me. Oh my gosh, we're going to plant the church, but we're going to plant the church, but we're walking away from a, a salary. And oh my goodness, I, I grew up poor and I was so poor and on food stamps. And, and Rachel grew up rich, but I know she doesn't care about money, but I want to be the husband that makes us poor and have nothing and have to move out and get on food stamps. Oh my gosh, ghost made it. Nothing happened, but I made a huge ghost and owned my emotions. Oh my goodness, we're, we're hopping facilities. Is this going to be oh, what's going to happen at church? Lord? They're like, ghost. Oh my gosh, what, what happens if this happens at work? And what if this happens? Ghost. That is a rhythm that Jesus came to break. You are not supposed to process all these things down different trails. It's going to happen. No. Choose faith. All right. We got waves coming every side. Last time I checked, when waves come every side, my God likes to walk on water in these moments. Oh, and not only that, I get to walk on water with him. So from here out, you're going to have a decision to make. When a storm comes, will you trust your God and literally walk with him on water and let the waves know they're not bigger than you, that you're bigger than the waves? Or will you have fear, fear own you and you'll just be crying about ghosts, talking to people all the time, oh my gosh, what if this happens? And you're telling about ghosts that don't even exist. Jesus gives them this word of advice and it's a phenomenal 
uh, thing. It, says, it simply says this. He says, they cried out in fear, but immediately, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Everybody say, take. There's some things you have to take. Matthew 11, 12 says, from, those, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and violent take it by force. I felt this week the enemy was just, I started praying 21 day fast. I'm declaring revival for this region. I'm declaring great things for our church. We're getting into a place that nobody else could get into for years and years, and I'm declaring it, and I feel like the enemy came up and just shoved me down on the playground. The problem is, is you mess with the wrong tested disciple. To be honest, I cried on the playground for four days. Monday through Thursday, I was just in the fetal position. The Lord gave me a picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a.k.a. Winnebago. What? And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the fire. And the enemy at this moment is like, yeah, you, you go ahead and live for God. I'll make sure that the people that are in this world, I'll have them attack you, throw you in the fire. But what happens is when you throw the wrong disciple in the fire, they dance in the fire. And they come out of the fire. And not only is the enemy defeated, but people who never believed in Jesus go, whoever this Jesus is, I want to know because you handled a fire, you handled a storm like I've never seen before. I want to worship your God. So I got up off the playground when the enemy pushed me, and I pushed him right back. I started praying, stomping on him. The Bible says that we're supposed to crush him under our feet in Romans. Is that for him to be a bloody mess? He done messed with the wrong disciple this week. I'm not a finished product. Oh, but Lord is testing me right now, and I'll embrace the test. I'll embrace the moments. I want to respond in the storms in a way where people go, whatever that is, I want it. And what you're calling whatever, his name is Jesus. And the next time you have a storm, Give God a chance to be glorified in it. Don't go straight to the ghost. Cry out to the ghost or cry out to Jesus. You pick. Put it by your heads.